This episode of the Conversation Podcast features QSource's QI advisor, Angelita Hendrickson, discussing Jackson County, Indiana's work to reduce opioid harm with Dr. Ryan Sarver and Kimberly Glaze. Welcome to the QSource Conversation. Today we have Dr. Ryan Sarver and Kimberly Glaze. We are here to talk about Jackson County's efforts with the opioid-related overdoses. In our last podcast, Dr. Sarver, we discussed the prevalence of misuse during the pandemic. And we've also asked Kimberly to join. She is a local harm reductionist. As you all have been partnering together to make an impact on the community to improve change. So welcome to the conversation. Kim, what is a harm reductionist? Sure, and thank you, Angelita, for having me on today. And good to see you again, Dr. Sarver. A harm reductionist is someone who helps to minimize the effects, the negative harmful effects of um, that's affiliated or associated with drug use. There is a fact that drug use is part of our community and we are accepting of that. And I say we, because there's a lot of us people out there doing this type of work. And just to recognize and know that it is a part of every community and it is very complex and multifaceted on many levels. I truly care about each and every person in our community and their well-being. There is no judgment. There is no shame. uh, There is no guilt. Uh, It's walking alongside the person, regardless if they are trying to reach total abstinence or if they are still in chaotic use and um, well, all those negative effects that come around with that. And I meet people where they're at with love and compassion and realizing that trauma, poverty, isolation, things like that, most of the time why people start to begin their substance use anyway, and then why they continue down that path. And I believe that everyone deserves a seat at our table. Thank you so much for giving us a little insight to what you do every day. Before we really get started into talking specifically about what you all have been doing over the last year or so, do you mind setting the stage and and just providing some basic demographics about Jackson County for our listeners? Absolutely. I'll go ahead and step in. Hey, Angelita. Hey, Kim. Thanks again for having me here. Jackson County is a rural county in Indiana. Um, The state of Indiana's population is about 6.8 million. It's not one of the largest states. And then Jackson County's population is about 46,000, according to the 2021 U.S. Census. Our largest city is Seymour. And yes, it is a city. It has about 20,000 people, so a small city. Now, some of the surprising stuff in there The U.S. Census has Jackson County's poverty rate at 14%. Even more than that, there is a number that we use, which is a asset limited income constricted uh, number called the Alice rate. And the Alice rate for Jackson County is about 35%. So that's what we often in the social uh, sciences call the working poor. So those are people who don't make enough money to afford health insurance or really to have enough money to their living paycheck to paycheck, which most of us probably are. But if anything happens, they're one step away from being homeless. So that rate's 35%. So if we combine the 
the poverty rate and the ALICE score of the residents of Jackson County, that means half the people are at risk of becoming homeless at any one point. So as you can imagine, some of the stuff Kim was saying about things that go into uh, increasing drug use, especially in stressful times such as a recession or during a pandemic, rates of drug use skyrocket. So Jackson County's drug use rates are much higher than Indiana's at large or the U.S. For instance, the overdose death rate for the United States for 2021 was about 0.03%, which is astronomical. You're talking about over 100,000 people dying of an overdose in 2021, which is way up from pre-pandemic levels of about 70, 60, 70,000 people dying each year of overdose rates. And those rates were even going up before the pandemic. Now let's look at Indiana. Indiana's right in line. Their overdose death rate is slightly higher than the U.S. average. It's 0.034%. Jackson County's death rate in 2021 was 0.06%. So almost double the U.S. overdose death rate. Now, the neat thing about harm reduction, and, and Kim was saying some, some really cool stuff about, about what harm reductionists do, is yes, it's about stigma reduction. And if you're not sure what stigma is, maybe our listeners can check out one of our previous podcasts on stigma reduction. But one of the things that stops people from going to recovery is they don't want anybody to know. They're ashamed of it because the population at large treats them as though they're something low, there's something trash, there's name for them like junkie and people call them trash and call them horrible names and they don't want anybody to know that they're associated with this. So a harm reductionist really says, hey, wait a minute, what kind of things can we do that we can put into place that will stop the spread of harm? For instance, we have rampant rates of HIV and hepatitis C from needle use. There are harm reduction programs where they give out free needles so that they get a clean needle every time. They don't have to reuse needles. In fact, here in Indiana, it's a felony just to have a needle on your possession. It's hard to get a needle, so they'll absolutely reuse them. And so we have rampant cases of hep C and HIV. With these different rates of drug use and infectious disease going on, that's where harm reduction really comes in and plays a pivotal role. One of the really cool things we saw is some of the work that uh, Kim and others around the county have been doing have brought our death rate, which we talked was about double the national average in 2021. Preliminary data from 2022, from all the stuff they've been doing, has brought that death rate down to 0.037 almost in line with the U.S. national average. So they've almost halved the death rate. How has the community made an impact in the last year? Like what types of things have you all been doing with other community folks as it relates to substance misuse and those opioid deaths? So sure, I can I can go ahead and kind of comment on this one and then feel free to jump in, Dr. Sarver, at any time. I think over the last year with the overdose deaths decreasing, I think there has been one reason is because there's been more access to naloxone. There is a couple of uh, nalox boxes. Thankful and grateful to um, Overdose Lifeline and Governor Eric Holcomb for providing those. There is two places throughout the county. It's a box that is unlocked. It when it's filled, I try to put about 15 doses in there along with fentanyl test strips and then a couple of business cards and instructions and resources and treatment places and things like that. That is one reason I think there was approximately 900 doses that I distributed in 2022 throughout Jackson County. And that does include 
filling up the naloxone boxes. I think more access to quality treatment. There has been places popping up around and there has been some reduction in stigma, but still there is so much work to do with that through our, where they come to the local emergency room, maybe they've overdosed and they're taken by ambulance and things like that. Add on to what Kim was saying there, the access for, for uh, listeners who don't know, uh, naloxone is the generic name for Narcan. So that's the opioid overdose reversal drug that will save somebody's life if they're currently overdosing on opioids. Those boxes have been instrumental in, in patients having access to this medication. In addition to that, uh, Kim and others have been instrumental in just getting naloxone, and that's Narcan, out into the community. So they've had events, you can pick it up from Jackson County Health Department. You can basically go anywhere and just get naloxone. In fact, now our local hospital, uh, Schneck uh, Hospital, has naloxone for free for any patient. They actually walk out of the door with a naloxone in hand, not a prescription, but the actual medication in hand. So if they do have another event, which unfortunately many do, they will have that uh, life-saving medication in their hand. So I think that's been really instrumental in reducing the overdose dose death rates from, like I said, almost double the national average down to almost in line with the national average. Well, with all of these interventions, that's what I'm going to call it because they are strategies that have been put in place and and are working, obviously. But can you tell us a little bit more about how the community came together? Like, who were those community partners that were instrumental in getting the more access and the events and and things like that, because it didn't just happen overnight. So do you mind sharing with us how those things came about, like the conversations that started those types of grassroots types of activities? I can chime in here with our local coordinating committee. So every county in the state of Indiana Well, besides Rensselaer, I believe. So 91 counties in the state of Indiana have an LCC, a local coordinating committee that is your drug-free council or substance use council. And they actually came together and formed some teams like uh, treatment team. They were called action teams and recovery teams and uh, awareness and education teams came together. And I think the faith-based organizations came together also to hold events, an overdose awareness day event that's been going on since I think about 2015-ish. Just getting getting that out there, there's been a naloxone distribution at those events. There's been speakers. Having individuals come together and know that just talking about it and sharing your story and taking that step and realizing that there's hundreds of others who are going through maybe not the same exact thing because every story is different and unique, but they're having problems as well. And people like Dr. Sarver had said are just, they're not wanting to talk about it. And so I think that's the first step is just talking about it and really celebrating the recovery community. Um, Our recovery community here is, is beautiful and it's growing and just celebrating those, whatever their recovery journey may look like. So, you know, with all of these accesses to care and things that it didn't come without its own challenges. So please share with the audience what those barriers were and how you all overcame them. So one of the barriers I faced in 2014, 
was naloxone was hard to come by then. I was basically boots on the ground distributing naloxone, doing porch drops. I would mail. I would just go out into the various communities around and uh, especially people who didn't have transportation to get anywhere and just I would make connections and build that trust and rapport with maybe one or two people. They would do the what I call secondary distribution out into the communities to where they knew that um, people were using substances. And so that was a long time coming because then um, I worked with uh, Overdose Lifeline who went to legislation, the former Attorney General Greg Zoller actually came down to Jackson County and basically told Jackson County Sheriff's Department that you guys will carry this. I am giving it to you for free. You will carry this. Because there was a period of time where some of the, I did like a six county regional study and most of the departments were not wanting to offer this to their local law enforcement or to their EMTs, which the EMT had like the IV things on their, their trucks. But so that was a barrier. That was a, that was a huge challenge and very frustrating for me. So that just like fueled my fire though. I'm like, (laughs) I'm going to go out there. I'm going to get as much naloxone Narcan into people's hands, into people's homes, into people's vehicles. I want to get it in businesses. And it gives me cold chills just thinking about it because that's where my passion is. This is a preventable death. We should be able to save lives. And, and offer them, offer family support. So that was one of the challenges. And then just the stigma and the low lack of collaboration between various organizations that were doing the same work, but they weren't coming together and working together and knowing that not one organization can do it alone. And we also need community. We need the community support. We need the families and the faith-based organizations and the leaders. Do you feel like that that was when the tide changed was when people broke down the silos and came to the table and started working together? Absolutely. Absolutely. Including law enforcement? Absolutely. They are a huge piece. Yes. And Angelita, I want to share with our audience, one of the things that uh, Kim is, is really highlighting here is the biggest barrier to access to care, uh, getting Narcan in the hands of people is stigma. And I want all of our listeners to know that addiction is a chronic relapsing disease of the brain. It is a mental health disease, just like anxiety and depression. And every man, woman, and child on this planet at some point in their lives will have exacerbations of their anxiety and depression. About 50% of people will need a medication sometime in their life. And that's what we're talking about. We're talking about getting medication into the hands of people until the the society and communities at large start paying attention to the fact that this is a treatable mental health issue that is literally killing their neighbors, their friends, their family members. And they come together and see that there are resources. That's another barrier is trying to find the money to pay for this stuff. But right now we're sitting in a perfect storm of governments at all levels right now are realizing that we're in huge, a huge issue, a huge problem, an opioid epidemic. There are grant funds at nearly every level to pay for 
Narcan delivery, to pay for training programs, to pay for stigma reduction so people will stop stigmatizing these poor people who are suffering from this mental illness and will pay for treatment programs. All that money is there. So Angelina, you're talking about what are the barriers that, that people will experience and probably are experiencing? Stigma. So stigma reduction has to happen. People need to realize this is a disease that can't be treated resources which are out there so you'll need you know people signing up for grants to get those monies and then as kim was saying to have all these organizations that are already doing this work come together and say hey we're doing this what are you doing where are the gaps to care that we need to fill in do we need other partners to come to the table to fill those gaps in and that's really where the planning stages and then implementation implementation stages come into play that kind of leads me to the the next question for you all if you all could wave your magic wand, what would you like to see? What other further supports do you need to continue your success in Jackson County in addressing and helping people recover and live a, a life, you know, where they can function and, and have the things that are necessary around them? What types of things do you all feel like you still need? I say that a lot. If I just had a magic wand, like what, what would I do? And, and what would that, what would Jackson County, what would our communities look like? And this is, this is so big. Like, this is so big to me. I know like one of the things that comes to mind is the individuals would not be taken to jail. And this is no offense. I love our law enforcement. I love our sheriff's department. I still do some work in our local county jail there. We need to definitely change some some laws. We need to get rid of the level felony six, possession of a syringe. We need to get rid of the internal possession charges. So if someone overdoses, they don't find anything, but hey, we know you overdosed on this. We're gonna get blood work, lab work. We're not gonna charge you with internal possession. Also for people having an illicit drug screen, an illicit urine screen, if it has fentanyl in it and they're involved in drug court or involved in probation, there's an automatic warrant put out on them. I just want to have a loving, caring, supportive community. Would love to have transportation for the entire county. I would love to have reentry housing, residential treatment inpatient. Locally here, we kept a ship, and I say ship, because where do, where do people go? We have to take them to treatment. I would have a whole different continuum of care model. So mine would be like warm handoffs and connections across the whole entire span. Even after I'm talking, you know, there, there was a grant that I worked under and, and I'm so sad that it ended, but it worked. It reduced uh, recidivism by 37%. That was the recidivism rate was 37% in, in our county and the grant ended, but it was an offender reentry program. It was wonderful. You followed the person for nine months at least or longer and connected them to resources and, and walked alongside them and supported them because most of the time the families, they're done basically. But I think we need, we need, we need to go to the people. We need to reach out to them instead of expecting them to come to us because most of the time they're not due to stigma, due to the lack of getting to where, or even knowing what the resources are in our county. Um, that's, that's it in a nutshell. That, <laughs> oh, and that, syringe service program. We would have an SSP in our county. What does that mean? 
I would love to have a syringe service program in our county or a harm reduction clinic. Legally right now, I give out everything for people to, to use safely and stop the spread of disease, but I cannot give out, I legally cannot give out syringes, which is the huge piece of why HIV and hep C is on the rise. So I would definitely have that in our community. If I could have a wand, I would I would do a lot of big things. And HIV and hep C testing would automatically be done at your primary care doctors. It would automatically be, let's see, let's check your status. Everybody needs to know their status and there's treatment okay. available. And that is a USPSTF A and B recommendation. So family physicians should be doing that. I know I do it in my clinic. What she's really highlighting is that currently in the United States, under the auspices of the U.S. federal government, mental health crises are illegal. People go to jail for their mental health crises. What is the drug trade but people making money off of people's mental health crises? They're pharmaceutical representatives who are very good at their jobs. This is a opportunity for us to increase treatment and access to treatment. Because what are people seeking out but to treat their anxiety and depression and to escape from it? You guys are probably escaping into your phones. I'm escaping into my cup of coffee right now so I can wake up <laughs> from, from my, my sleepy eyes. So they're looking to escape. So what we need is increased treatment. You asked what if we could wave a magic wand, what would that look like? It would look like exactly what Kim's talking about, having a warm handoff program. Somebody has a mental health crisis, they don't go to their local drug dealer and get medication. They go to their doctor. They go to the local health clinic that's free for access to care, and they get a medication that will relieve their anxiety and depression so they don't need to go and get a drug to make themselves feel better temporarily and then go into the cycle of, of withdrawing off that drug and feeling like they're dying and going and seeking that drug and doing whatever they can to get access to that drug because that's really the, the, the cycle of use that we have people in. Now, we don't live in a perfect world, so we have people who are currently in the, in the throes of addiction. So we need treatment, free access to treatment. Here's the good news. We actually are currently working on grant programs because the money exists out there. We have grant coordinators here in Jackson County who are accessing grant funds and are bringing together all levels of local government, as well as healthcare, as well as industry to come together to make a comprehensive response to mental health because substance use disorder is just part of mental health. If you don't solve the mental health crisis in the United States, which is a local response. It can't be a national response. It's gonna be there at home. Come together with, with who's treating mental health, give them the resources, do it, and make it free for patients and make access to care known for them so they know that they can go get it. Once you treat that, all these problems go away. So the magic wand is resources, stigma reduction, and access to care. And you know, it sounds like you're you're getting to wave the wand here really soon with those financial resources through the grants and and it's taking <laughs> taking complete advantage of what's being out there. That's the name too is organizing and getting everybody on the same page with all of your community folks and going after those dollars, those grant dollars to make it happen. I hope that you all take the time to really celebrate what where you've come from and the things that you all have advocated for and gotten in place right now, because there are so many 
families out there that do not have what you all have. You know, they don't have a Dr. Sarver in a Kimberly Glaze with boots on the ground and knocking on doors and not stopping, but really truly advocating for the love of the people that you all are serving. I guess one of my last questions I'd like to ask is, what would you tell other counties there that maybe have, you know, they may have a uh, local coordinating council that is talking about it, but they've really not put it into action. What would be some tips or um, advice or suggestions you might lend them? Definitely attend your local coordinating committee. There's anything being done. It's just kind of like a sit around meeting and kind of you want to do more, I would suggest that you form your own discussion group online or at the local library, put out something on Facebook, put out something in an email, or just verbally ask people to just have a discussion group about it. Let's talk about it. We have to talk about it. I mean, we, we have to. And don't be afraid to reach out. Don't be afraid to reach out and talk and tell your story, share it with others. I am a huge advocate for NHRC, which is the National Harm Reduction Coalition. And then there's also, they do have a website. Then there's also FBHRC, which is the Faith-Based Harm Reduction Coalition. Those are two nationwide organizations. There's a ton of resources on their websites. Feel free to, and I'm always open to, you can put my email out there. I'm always open to talking, listening, and and trying to find resources and helping people all over. We'll, we'll find it. I don't care if you live in Ohio, New York, Florida, wherever. We're going to find it. We're going to get you stuff, especially now that everything's going online, most of it. There's something out there for everyone. So don't be afraid to talk. So Kim, what is your email? My email is K-A-G-L-A-Z-E-2007 at Gmail. Dot com. Yes. Dr. Sarver, what recommendations would you have for other counties? Exactly what Kim and I were talking about. Step one is going to be stigma reduction. Start talking. Get out there. Tell your story. Tell people you're in recovery. It's scary at first, but you'll be surprised to find out how many other people have walked your journey or who have family members who have walked your journey. So that's step one. So for people to understand this is mental health. And it is treatable. So stop hiding because hiding is killing people. Step two is harm reduction. Once we start having these conversations, naloxone needs to get out in the community because people are still going to be using these drugs to treat their mental health until they have access to care, free access to care. So once you have harm reduction programs in place and your overdose rates are getting down, now you have people who can go into treatment. So you have to ramp up treatment, find out which providers offer medications for opiate use disorder. The good news is there are no longer any other barriers for practitioners to prescribe Suboxone, which is one of the medications for opiate use disorder, because that waiver, the requirement for that waiver has been lifted. So any provider who has a DEA license who can prescribe controlled substances can prescribe medications for opiate use disorder. So ask your doctor. They should, your family doctor should now be your point of care for your opiate use disorder. There's no reason they shouldn't be treating you at this point. Once you have treatment in place, 
then those providers need to go to their local emergency department and develop a warm handoff program. Because one of the major points of access for care for people is the emergency department because they go there when they're in crisis. So once somebody has a mental health crisis that involves an overdose from a uh, opiate or other substance, that emergency department should uh, have a person such as a peer recovery coach or a caseworker who can then take that patient and then get access to treatment for them. They get handed the medication, which will save their life, which is naloxone, and handed the medication, which will prevent them from reusing, which is MOUD or Suboxone, and give them an appointment to a provider who can then continue that prescription for life if that patient wishes to do that or until they're safe to start weaning off of it. Once that's in place and that's free access to care for every person who is experiencing these mental health crises, people are going to keep dying. So that's really, those are the steps that need to be taken. The money is out there. Start talking. Go to your local government, your mayor, your representative, your senators, ask them about these programs. They exist in almost every state. It can be done. We can come together and we can end this crisis. Thank you so much. This has been so informative and and hats off to you both. Hats off to Jackson County. And I know you've got lots of more work to do. But it sounds like you've got a plan. You're putting it in together and putting it into action. And we applaud you for your efforts. It's it's remarkable what you all have done over the last year. I know it's been slow going since 2015, but you're, you've got tread there and, and there's something to be said for all that. So we appreciate you coming to the conversation and sharing the story. Thanks. Thanks for having us, Angelina. Okay. Thank you so much, Angelita and Dr. Sarber. I appreciate it.